Just a few years ago, there was only a handful of ways to reach out to people. But today, there's an explosion in the number of ways we can stay connected. I'm David Fisher, and you're listening to Three and a Half Degrees, an original podcast from Facebook. Remember that theory that everyone in the world is connected by just six degrees of separation? Well, today, three and a half degrees is all that stands between you and anyone else in the world with an internet connection. In this podcast, we're going to reduce that even further and bring together emerging entrepreneurs and seasoned business leaders. We'll talk about the opportunities and the challenges of our more connected world. One thing I find fascinating about talking to entrepreneurs is the stories that shape them. Take Brian Manning, for instance. His life changed on a road in Cape Cod. When I was 17 years old, I, like many other 17-year-olds, wanted more than anything to get my driver's license. Sounds like a pretty ordinary thing to want to do as a teenager. But Brian was no ordinary 17-year-old. For one thing, he was legally blind. You've heard of 2020 vision? Well, Brian has 2400 vision. He can see bright lights and some large objects, but that's about it. But Brian's a determined guy, and despite the obstacles, and you're not going to believe this, he found a way to get his driver's license. In the state of Virginia, if you have a bioptic lens, which is basically a little telescope on the left side of my glasses, allowed me to have 2060 vision and drive. So what I would do when driving is I would scan ahead with the telescope, make sure there weren't any objects I was that were in my path, or look at a red light or find a speed limit, and then make adjustments based on that information. And then I would use the periphery of my vision to try and avoid all of the macro stuff, like cars and people and pets. One day, he and his mom were driving, checking out some unfamiliar routes. I was going down a two-lane road, about 45 miles an hour in our Honda Odyssey. This is his mom, Diane. So we're driving along, and I see this lady. She pulls off her car off the side of the road. So I'm wondering, does he see that the car's partially in the road? And then he sort of starts to swerve over, like he sees the car. I'm like, okay, he's got this. I saw a car that was about three quarters pulled off the road. And I had made, scanned ahead, and I made my adjustment. And then the lady all of a sudden opens her door and starting to get out of the car. Um, and Brian, at this point, with his lack of vision and with his monocular, is already looking past that point. He's looking down the road already. And he doesn't realize that she's opened her car door up. I couldn't get the words out fast enough, so I went to grab the steering wheel to swerve us into oncoming traffic. As we get about 20 feet away from the car, my mom reaches over and slaps my arm up and we swerved into oncoming traffic into the other lane and a white Suburban was actually coming head on at us. And I swerved back into our lane and I frankly was very rude to my mom. I was screaming at her, you know, why the heck would you even think about doing that? You almost killed us. I, had to, I broke down a little bit because that was such a, a big moment in my life that I was pushing for something that I probably shouldn't have been. I had to get out of the car and I had to walk around for a bit just to sort of get calmed down. And then Brian said, Mom, I'm not driving anymore. 
That harrowing experience was a wake-up call. But it wasn't just about giving up his license. He realized that he needed to fully embrace reality. He's blind. Brian's not the only one in his family who's blind. His older brother, Bradford, also has the same genetic eye disease called Stargard's. In fact, Bradford was diagnosed first. When I was five years old, I was... I failed the kindergarten eye chart, and I was walked into a doctor's office with my mother. And after a lot of doctors and a lot of tests, the doctor said to my mother, your son's going to lose his eyesight. Take him home, give him a magnifier, and prepare for him to go blind. And a few years later, Brian had the same experience. Fortunately, Brian and Bradford's parents took a different approach. The boys went to school, played lacrosse, they had summer jobs. And after college, they moved from their hometown of Charlottesville, Virginia, to New York City, where they started their careers. Brad in finance and Brian in sales. Then one day, while shopping, they lost track of each other. Shopping is a big pain in the ass. So if you can't see the prices or colors or labels that well, you actually start by just running your hand up the clothing rack like you're five years old, you touch something you like, and then you do the work you need to do to find it. When they finally met up later, they had one of those aha moments. And so on this particular day, we walked out of Bloomingdale's with the same exact shirt in our hands. And it was a crazy coincidence, but that touch actually played a part in that. The shirt felt amazing. And after that moment, we decided that maybe this could be our way of reaching out to the community, of reaching out to consumers by starting a clothing label that had a vigilance to touch and that would donate the profits back to medical research. So the idea for Two Blind Brothers suddenly became clear. Brian and Bradford would manufacture high-end T-shirts that not only looked great, but felt amazing too. And they'd donate all of the profits towards finding a cure for blindness. It was an idea born out of total passion. They wanted to combine their online business idea with a socially driven mandate. Now, a decade ago, this might have seemed laughable. But this type of business model has proven itself to be financially viable. And it was pioneered by a guy who started out wanting to be a professional tennis player. All my life was playing tennis. I was playing hours and hours a day. Um, It was kind of my whole existence. It was my identity. That's Blake Mykoski, the guy who went on to found Tom's Shoes. He invented a buy-one-shoe, give-one-shoe model. But when he was younger, Blake didn't have business aspirations. Back then, Blake wanted to follow in the footsteps of his tennis heroes, like Andre Agassi and Boris Becker. But everything changed for Blake in his sophomore year while on a tennis scholarship at Southern Methodist University in Dallas. It happened at a tournament in Houston. I was playing at, uh, at Rice University, and I kind of ro- rolled my ankle. And so the doctor put me in a big, you know, kind of full leg cast um, for almost two months. And that was going to 
obviously take me out of the season. Um, it felt like a, a, a really tragic moment in my life because, I mean, I wasn't going to get to play for the whole sophomore year season. And there was not like any 100% guarantee that the rehab would be effective enough for me to play at the level that I was playing before it was also very scary. Blake's dreams of tennis stardom, they were shattered. He went through an existential crisis. And as he considered his now uncertain future, another, albeit much smaller, problem was piling up all around him, his laundry. I got a big leg cast, uh, so it's physically impossible for me to transport my uh, ever-growing laundry basket down to the basement where the laundry facilities were in the dorms at SMU. Um, but I couldn't find any service that would, uh, you know, kind of pick up and drop off um, laundry, which is what I needed. I need someone to physically pick it up. My roommate's dad uh, was entrepreneurial, uh, and we were talking about this, the fact that, A, this is a problem, and also, B, that there was no uh, kind of services available to solve this problem. And that's when we kind of together said, oh, you know, I guess we could start a business that would do this because there's probably a lot of other kids who don't have broken legs but just don't want to do their laundry or don't have time. So there he is, 18 years old, the future founder of Tom's Shoes. And he's got an idea, but there's a slight problem. I just didn't even understand the concept of business or entrepreneurship. I mean, my dad is a doctor, my grandfather's a doctor, my uncle's a doctor. Like everyone I knew that made money, they made it by operating on people. Um, and I didn't really know anyone that like started a business that then like made money and thought about like success and all those things that way. So they decide to give their laundry delivery business the old college try. First thing they need, a set of wheels. We found an old uh, FedEx truck that was for sale, and uh, and we bought that truck and painted our name Easy Laundry on the side of it, and that was our pickup and delivery vehicle. It was our office. It was everything for us. And much like Tom's, in some in, in a kind of a weird way, is like we totally relied on word of mouth to grow the business. This big truck that was now driving around campus all day every day with Easy Laundry and our phone number on it, and so. It didn't take long for students to like see us picking up and doing laundry and say, gosh, I wish someone would do that for me. His instincts were dead right. Business took off, and by their second semester, they were profitable and eventually grew to 40 employees. And that old truck, it became a campus fixture. We had this truck, we had gas, and and we had no managerial overhead. And, and so every, every new customer was incremental uh, dollars to the bottom line. After the success of Easy Laundry, he started other businesses, a marketing company, a cable network, a driver's ed company. For a guy figuring it out as he went along, he had some decent success. Fast forward 15 years to 2006. Blake's traveling in Argentina and he meets a woman who's volunteering on a shoe drive for local kids. These are kids who can't afford the shoes they need to meet their school's dress code. That sparked in Blake a radical business idea. For every pair of shoes purchased, a new pair of shoes would be provided to a child in need. And that's the idea that would turn into Tom's, which is short for tomorrow's shoes. 
were so many doubters and naysayers when I came out 12 years ago and said, we're gonna start a company to help people. We're gonna give a pair of shoes away every time we sell a pair. I mean, this, this, was, this was total heresy in the business world back then. By 2013, Tom's has given away its 10 millionth pair of shoes to a child in need and fundamentally changed the way people look at business. Blake's brazen new model had the power to make you feel good about the simple act of buying a shoe. Soon, copycats are popping up everywhere. And now, more than a decade later, having a cause-based business, it's not only common, it's respected. The success of Tom's has given permission to people like Bradford and Brian Manning to launch companies with social mandates. And by the way, Two Blind Brothers has already donated $200,000 toward the Foundation for Fighting Blindness. But their unexpected success, I mean, they were on the Ellen Show. It has them thinking carefully about next steps. So who better to talk about that with than Blake Mykoski? Their conversation comes at a time when many companies are wrestling with how to give back, how to build social value, and how to attract a next generation of consumers who want to support businesses with altruistic goals. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast. So let's reduce that three and a half degrees of separation down to one. Um, but, it, but it's a super, super sincere pleasure to, to meet you, obviously. You know, when we were starting our project, we tried to steal as many Good. ideas from you that we possibly, possibly could. So, and, and we both have uh, read your book recently, and I, I kind of wish that we read it a little sooner, <laughs> a, li- a little earlier, uh, because just so many of the things that you mentioned in there were just so relevant to our project. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, I wrote the book really as a, as a hope, and it sounds like it has helped to give back to other entrepreneurs. I think that's great. I mean, so many people ask me, like, especially, you know, maybe five, six years ago, uh, you know, when more and more one-for-one companies were started or companies to get back, they're like, people were, you know, copying your idea. And I said, that's exactly the point. I mean, that's... <laughs> I would love to kind of just get your two-minute opinion on where you think cause-driven companies, you know, what what do you think the state of it is today? Because it's very different, as I see it, from when you started. And it was basically like, the open road and it hadn't really been done before. I, I, I joke with Brian, I kind of think of you as the guy, Roger Bannister, who broke the four minute mile. You're right. Like once we proved that you could make money and help people at the same time, uh, so many other companies have been started since then. I think what's, what's interesting now is that I think we, we've seen customers change in their views on companies that are giving back. And when we started, it was this kind of radical idea and it was kind of stop you in your tracks. Oh my God, I have to share this with my friend. This is amazing. And I think that's why our business grew so rapidly because it was such a point of difference. Now I feel that it's almost a point of entry because I think that especially millennials and and younger consumers are asking questions and hard questions about companies before they ever support them. Um, And so I think that 
it's less of a competitive advantage from just a business standpoint, but but it's also uh, it's almost a requirement to to be getting into business. And I think what that means for companies and, and you guys being in the apparel space, I think is is close to us in the footwear space. Is that mm. you know we got to make great product. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because you can target people so specifically, you can kind of get a heat check on your project if it is actually feasible. Yeah. Because we could have our full-time jobs, start the business, support the business. And because we could find these ardent supporters to say, yes, this is what we want. This is the product we're looking for. Thank you so much. Yeah. All of a sudden you have the idea, oh my God, this actually can be a thing. And so you don't actually need to quit your job, invest every penny you've ever made, and then try and hope your company works. Because of social now and the ability to to talk to these small niches like you did, you can kind of build it out and get the test run out of the way first, get smarter, and then dive in if it's starting to work. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's just in, in general, great advice for any entrepreneurs. I mean, I I never had an investor when I started Tom's. Um, you know, we built it to a half billion dollar business without bringing in capital. And, you know, I think the thing that we we realized with that is, is that you can, especially if you're a cause related organization, you can really stay true to your values and what you're doing. And you don't have, you know, kind of other influences that usually come with capital from the beginning, which can can alter your 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 cause or or your focus. But also it's great when you can bootstrap it by keeping your day job and really kind of seeing if this is going to work before you, you know, jump into it full heartily because, you know, at the end of the day, most businesses don't work. And so, you know, I mean, that's just the, that's just the nature of the statistics. And so I always tell people like, you know, bootstrap as much as you can, because if it's not going to work, then you haven't put yourself in a huge deficit and you can go back to your job or to something else. Uh, and if it does work, like in my case, well, then owning that equity is really valuable down the road and you don't want to work really hard and do all that sacrifice and, and, and years and years of work only to have some investors making all the profit. So your idea is validated through customers and sales and all the business metrics that, you know, 50 years ago, people actually cared about. Yeah, which is, it was, uh, Brad and I joke a lot that it was really easy to start and really easy to give it all away when we were first like, no one's going to buy these shirts. Mm-hmm. No one, no one's going to care. But now that we've actually been able to get and grow and scale, it, you know, we wanted to stay true to our roots and true to our messaging. And, you know, frankly, our goal is to try and cure blindness and not put another dollar in our pocket down the line, which a lot of our supporters and the people around us seem to appreciate. You know, a lot of people are on this this same mission to try and fight to cure these diseases. And we thought, you know, a for-profit company just gives you a lot more flexibility, gives you a lot more competitive advantage and just allowing us to, to really dive in and, you know, try and do it from an entrepreneurship stance instead of a donation stance. When I did sell half the company, which I did four years ago uh, to Bain Capital, I said, look, it's, you know, one for one Mm. and our commitment to it is absolutely non-negotiable and has to be in all the legal documents, even if we go public, even if you turn and sell your part, even if we sell the whole thing. Like this is this is the founding principle of this company. This is what this brand is about, and and um, and it can't be 
can't be anything different than that. So if you guys are committed to 100% of your profits, you know, going to curing blindness, then no matter how big you get, then that's that's the non-negotiable. So I think I think that's what customers appreciate, and that's how you build a brand that has real authenticity and and loyal followers. Is you're very clear with what you're doing and why you're doing it, and you stick to it. Hmm. And from kind of a product standpoint, as a you know young company, we're trying to do one thing really, really well. It's good. We're trying to make Smart. our Henleys yeah. just. Perfect. Yeah. But from growing that assortment, you know, how did you guys start to think about that when you expanded past that the first design yeah. on outwards? I think the the thing I would say to that is just stay with one design for as long as you possibly can. I mean, I think that most of our challenges with Tom's came when we did start expanding to other products. Now, I don't think we had a choice because we got to a certain size and the the market for the original Tom shoe in Alpargata based on weather and everything else is, is is has some limitations to it. And so as we want to continue to grow our business, as we want to continue to have shelf space at our retailers, you know, in winter in Chicago, you know, <laughs> our, our, our canvas slip-on wasn't going to do it. I would have only stayed with one shoe as long as the market was continuing to grow or had capacity to grow in that in that shoe. So, but mm-hmm. we got to a point, I mean 2011, 12 where, you know, I mean, we were selling millions of that one shoe and it started to feel like Anyone who wanted that shoe kind of had that shoe, um, and we needed to have additional shoes. You know, we talked a little bit about multiplicative effects of doing your project and having people copycat you, but what you did, Blake, more than having just young entrepreneurs like Brad and I try to copycat your cause-driven company is you have giant brands all over the world that now have to have causes that they represent and they care about and donate millions upon millions of dollars to because they can't compete with these little brands or bigger brands like you guys who are saying, you know, if you want a product that also does good, you can come to us. Mm -hmm. So I just can't thank you enough for making the world a better place through through entrepreneurship. Well, thank you guys. That, that made my day. So, <laughs> Thank you so much. Great. Bye. Bye. Take care. When Blake sold his stake in the company a few years back, it was for the tidy sum of $300 million. And not only that, but Tom's has donated more than 10 million pairs of shoes. And a cool thing about Two Blind Brothers shirts, they're actually made by blind workers at a factory in Dallas. Blake's experience of being told his innovative idea was business heresy and would never work. It's actually pretty common. But what were the signs that it was a great idea? In some ways, it's the things that make any business successful, like addressing a pain point or having a solid business plan. But with a purpose-driven business, you have to think beyond that. There has got to be an authentic connection to a cause and a clear benefit to the consumer. As Blake said, this is a non-negotiable commitment. You get and you give, full stop. And it's not just for small businesses or nonprofits. Any business looking to evolve and attract a new generation of conscious consumers needs to be paying attention. Three and a Half Degrees is an original podcast from Facebook. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Just search for three and a half degrees, the power of connection. That's three and a half degrees, all spelled out. For more information and a look behind the scenes, follow us on Instagram at three and a half degrees. I'm David Fisher. Thanks for listening.